0: Thank you. Thank you for having me and Alan here. It's, it's really good to see you all and see in real life what we've only heard in stories so far, but it's great to be with you. Thank you for such for your welcome. Sweden is a beautiful place, though I've spent a disproportionate amount of time in a petrol station so far, watching, <laughs> watching someone eat a hot dog. So um, hopefully after this we'll get out and have a, a bit of a look um, round a bit more... I'm going to pray um, and throw ourselves again on His mercy and His beauty, and uh, know Him in these times as we open the scriptures together. Jesus, we, we're humbled by your grace towards us and the way you've um, gone so far to bring us so close. And we thank you that you embrace us and bring us near. and uh, we pray in these moments, would you direct us, speak to our hearts, that we might know you deeper, that we might see your face clearer, that we might know what it means to be loved and adopted and chosen. Uh, In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Do you want to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? We're not going to have any slides, um, we'll go a bit old school. Have your finger there. Um, Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verse 5 in just a short moment. I loved this morning. I really did. I encountered God. It's nice to come away and know God speaking and I felt God was speaking so clearly to particularly you guys here, um, prophetically giving you that little nudge again and um, to encounter him and to know him and to follow him and trust him and believe him. And hopefully we'll be able to continue along those ways. There's a few prophetic things that I think God has stirred me with as I've been preparing for today. And hopefully a few things will just stir and encourage us again that this isn't just about us here in this little place, but this is a big story that's going on. And I'm absolutely convinced that the best thing that could happen to Sweden is the return of Christ, and he will be glorified and returning. Every knee will bow before him, tears will be wiped away from the broken, the sick and the lame will be healed, and it'll be that day. That's the day that we're so looking forward to, and we need to anticipate that more And more, I believe, that we anticipate through prayer that day, those situations that occur in life, that that is the only hope, the only hope. But until that day, this is what God is doing, and this is what God's been doing for a long, long time. started with a man named Abraham, called him out, set him apart, said his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, in the sky and ever since that promise God has been faithful to his word that he would draw out a people to himself for his pleasure for his glory but also for the blessing and the honour of his, his, his name and fame across the whole of the earth forever more and we're caught up in that now in Christ Jesus as the church set apart by him for his purpose for his glory to see that one day, and anticipate it in the now, so that this place becomes more of a hopeful place. That that hope of that future doesn't just stay put, but breaks into the now. That there is a little foretaste in almost, and even in just its tiniest little ways. And and I'm absolutely convinced that that's what we're called to as a church. Um, with Big C, the whole church, the whole of God's people set apart is to see His glory worked out in many different ways and for you guys here in Sweden you're called to be his people set apart for his purpose and his pleasure it's really I'm absolutely convinced it's really easy to get a really big big church by doing things in a certain way you get an Ed Sheeran type worship leader who leads songs in such a way that's just great yep very good yep You get a sermon that's not too challenging, doesn't really talk about sin, doesn't really describe Jesus in all his glory, but makes it really easy. And you might even hand out some money as people come in. You can get a big church, you can gather a crowd really easily, but I want to say to you, God's not interested in a big crowd. In fact, he's over and over again chosen the weak, chosen the lame, chosen the ones that are outside of the crowd. Set them apart for His purpose and His glory, and done something special, done something miraculous, done something that changes hearts. So, as we turn to Philippines, that was sort of a wily introduction. But as we turn to Philippines, this is what God is doing: He's setting apart a people for His purpose, making them to be like Him, so that when people encounter His church, His people, they see what it's going to be like on that future day and we anticipate it in the now and we live towards that day i encourage you to look towards that day and hope again and believe and trust philippians chapter 2 verses 5 starting at verse 5 have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Have this mindset amongst yourselves, do this, be like this, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God. And I'd like us to briefly pause on that phrase, because I want us to enjoy the scandal of what Paul is saying here to the Philippians, to the people that believed in God, that trusted there was one God from the time of Abraham, Coming all the way through, and they were waiting upon this one that would set it all right, that would set them free. You might have heard of witnessed. They might have heard of witnessed about this man Jesus. Might have heard stories about what he'd been up to. Might even caught a glimpse of a miracle themselves. You've heard murmurs that he's the one, the sent one, the Messiah. You've heard of his death. His death on a cross and him buried in a tomb that could not contain him. Your witness to him raising again to life and the resurrection. And then to top it all, his exo- exhortation to the right hand of the Father and him being given every name, that is above every name, Lord. In order to be a good monotheistic Jew and one of God's set-apart chosen people, it would be been absolutely inconceivable to think that God, who was God in the present, was seated on the throne in the present could be seated on the throne in the future would be anything but also their god of their forefathers the one that was seated on the throne for the whole of of history the one who created the heavens and the earth the one who made covenant relationship the one who made promises and was faithful over and over again despite wandering in the wilderness for years and years he was faithful What Paul's doing in this text is re- rewriting the whole of that history in placing Jesus right at the centre. The whole of Jesus's, uh, Israel's history to include Jesus, this man, the one who walked the earth. Not only was he shown to be presently God, but he was also the God of the future and the God of the past. You could summarise this by saying Jesus is God, Jesus was God and Jesus will be God forever. Paul's firmly here placing Jesus right at the centre of this monotheistic Jewish culture. The God of creation, the God of covenant relationship, the God Yahweh, the sovereign one. Not simply an objectification of forces of the, within the world, but the one that made every molecule of matter that exists. The one who spoke chaos Into order, the one who made darkness hide at the light, the one who placed the stars in the sky, the one who caused the plants to sprout, the fish to swim, the animals to walk, and the birds to fly, the one who breathed life into Adam and stood back and said he was well pleased. He was in the form of God. The one who made a promise to a man, the one who heard the cries from the slaves in captivity, the one who liberated his people, the one who parted the seas, the one who provided the manna, the one who gave the law, the one who established them in the land. He was in the form of God. The one who history is written about. The one who holds it all in his hands. The one of the garden. The one of the tabernacle, the one of the temple, the one of exodus and return, the one of to and fro, the one of give and take, of command and obey, of love poured out and love received. He was in the form of God. The one of total worth, the one of total honour, the one who every nation would delight in, the one who all praise was due, the one of power, the one of might, the one of majestic holiness, the one who makes you fall on your knees and say, woe is me. He was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. He was in the form of God, yet he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. So from that place of total worth, total honour, history written about him, where all praise was due to him, he didn't count that as something to be grasped at. And the term grasped is not something like he's grasping at something that's out of reach to him, but instead it's the unwillingness of him to use his status for his own benefit and his own privilege he was God he is God he is seated on the throne but he chose to not use it for his own privilege and this paints as a picture of Jesus who's incredibly secure in his identity no need to exploit his power and position to, get, to look good or to get noticed. Jesus, who in the very form of God, who ad, had equality with God, but chose not to use it for his own gain or advantage. Yet It pains me that we live in a world where the exact opposite is true. Status is something to be grasped at. In some cases, even to be removed for pain of others. It's to be worked for. It's the thing that some people's lives are totally defined for, get into that position. That's what I'm known for, I'm that person. Status that once achieved, we want to exploit it for our own gain. I'm the person in power, I'm the richest, I'm the boss, I've got the best car, the best job, the coolest house, the best looking wife, the best behaved kids. And you can insert whatever idol it may be. It's very, very rare for us to see people... Of status and honour bestowed upon them, yet not using it for their benefit or privilege themselves. I think I think we're at danger, brothers and sisters, of letting that kind of culture imbibe church—the biggest church, the best church, the one that does the most stuff. We're called to be different. We're called to be like someone else. But that's exactly what God did. He didn't count equality with God, something to be grasped at, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So whilst Jesus didn't grasp equality with God, he did do something else. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. Jesus put on flesh, so to speak, the incarnation of God in one point in human history, the eternal word, the one that was there at the beginning put on flesh and moved into the neighbourhood, to quote Eugene Peterson. And let's briefly clear, and I don't have time today to go into the full depths of this, let's clear one very common misunderstanding of this word emptied himself. People have used that to mean that at some point in history, though Jesus was God, somehow stopped being God at some point where he became human and then went back to being defined again. And there's many smarter people than me that have spilt many, many pages of ink all around this verb, emptied himself. Many an author has taken this to mean when God became flesh, Jesus somehow ceased to be God is categorically not true. It's the coarse belief centre of our faith. Jesus at no point ceases to be God. He doesn't empty himself of divinity. In fact, he doesn't empty himself of anything. Some of the better translations, the NRV in particular, says he made himself nothing. You could describe that Jesus... Maybe in this time as some sort of chosen submission to God the Father, but no less divine than him. And that's the crux of what we believe. And it will become so, so important in a few moments' time. He emptied himself. He poured himself out. He gave up everything that could have been used for his own advantage for something else. So whilst I'm confident, and like I say, many, many smarter people than me, have spent many many discussions on this at no point did Jesus become uh, less than God or cease to be God I do want to quote here Charles Spurgeon I think summarizes this really well the doctrine of the eternal affiliation of Christ is to be received as an undoubted truth of our holy religion but as to any explanation of it no man should venture thereon For it remains one of the deep things of God, one of those solemn mysteries indeed into which the angels dare not look, nor do they desire to pry into it. A mystery which we must not attempt to fathom, for it is utterly beyond the grasp of any finite being. As well might a fly seek to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. A God whom we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp him, we could not be infinite. If we could understand him, then he were not divine. When you start to wonder and ponder on the mysteries of God, the mysteries of the incarnation in this example, by golly, do you start to feel like a fly drinking an ocean? My words are not enough to describe how beautiful he is and how wondrous. And those things aren't mine to understand. I'm finite, he is. Is infinite if we could understand him totally then he would not define when you're thinking of god your language should run out it should be limit limited because he is more beautiful than the word beautiful itself he defines beauty he defines kindness he defines love he's not just a little bit better than me he's not just a little bit more beautiful he's not just a little bit more good than i am. he is other and he defines it and my words run out as I try and discuss him it should lead us again into an awe of our amazing and majestic God who is other be a church that your words run out as you're talking about God it it pains me me in our church at home to know sometimes people are more interested in church than they are about God be the people that talk about God the ones that allow yourself to be extended in that way Our words totally fail at a point, though they're accurate and true, though it's right to say God is beautiful, they extend beyond what we can just think. It should therefore engender worship. So your worship, whether you're gathered as a church or whether you're walking down the street and going to work, it should be that God is not just a little bit better than me. He doesn't act like me. He can't be used in the same words that can be used to describe me. And it just shows and emphasizes and highlights again Jesus' choice to give up what was rightfully his all honor, all status, all dominion. His chosen act to abandon all of these privileges, to become low, to take the place of dishonor and have no status, to be born in obscurity, to be rejected, and to make himself nothing. In so many ways, the church and the world does not want their God to look like this. They want them to be the superhero that rides in and saves everything. The world wants their God to be untouchable, unquestionable, when really they just want themselves to be untouchable and unquestionable. The God of history revealed at the incarnation of Jesus doesn't afford us that kind of luxury Instead, it is in his self-emptying, in him making himself nothing, him him not using his equality with God to be something for his own advantage, that it reveals truly what God is like. God revealed himself in this way, in the form taken upon a servant. We see truly what God is like, pleased to represent himself in this way, pleased to show himself in this way way and it's not outside of God it's not this momentarily lapse of Jesus not being God but it's from the very nature of who he is that the self emptying occurs that truly this is what it means to be God being a servant being one who loves and yet Jesus goes even further than that he says Paul continues and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death On a cross. There's a second humbling that comes as a consequence of the first. As Jesus enters into humanity as he puts on flesh his humanity is going to reach an inevitable conclusion but not in its customary of ways. Jesus emptying himself to become human ensured that a certain death would follow. We're all going to die. But Jesus' death was to be different. Where death for humanity was to be a result of disobedience, the consequence of sin, the bondage to death, for Jesus, it was to be the result of obedience, no longer disobedience, and the result of his faithfulness. For Jesus, it was fully, him fully identifying with the, the human condition of death, but yet instead of disobedience leading to death, it was obedience that would lead to his death. And even more so for him that in his case it would be death by crucifixion, strung up on a cross, the punishment reserved for rebels and disobedient servants. And we see this decision for him to become human, to go all the way along the road of obedience and faithfulness, to not, to not turn his back, to not say no, to say yes to God, in submission to the Father, yes, all the way to being uh, to the death on a cross, it was a decision about being really what it meant to be God, this is who he is, one who is faithful, one who is obedient, the one who would uh, go all the way that in putting on flesh, by becoming nothing, by being in the form of a servant, to the point of where he 's raised up on a Roman cross, it is that moment that the coal the, the glory of God is revealed to all once and for all, undeniably. Has he's raised up as they mock him as they say if you really are the messiah then take yourself down if you really are god if you really can save souls then save yourself not knowing the irony that this is the expression of what it means to be god truly he was king of the jews as they mocked him and truly as they forced a crown of thorns onto him he was crowned glorious magnificent faithful obedient this brothers and sisters is what our god He's like he's not the superhero that we want him to be and he doesn't shy away from being one who enters into weakness and walks the difficult paths. He's not the untouchable one that sits on a cloud barking out orders for the world to follow. He's not the God that the world needs him to be. He's not the God, the, the God that the world wants him to be but he's the God that the world needs him to be the one who Sweden needs him to be, the one who made himself nothing, the one who showed his humility, the one who uh, considered how his love for others was greater than his self-personal comfort. The real humiliation of the incarnation of the cross is that the one who himself was God and the one who never during the whole process stopped being God, could embrace such a vocation, such a path, such an end. That's the glory and the beauty of our God revealed in the incarnation and the cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him every name that is above every name. Therefore, this takes us immediately back to what has just come. Because Jesus humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death on a cross, therefore God has highly exalted him. This, therefore, introduces the action of God who now responds to Jesus' self-emptying and humiliation, and humiliation. God bestowed on him a status of honour that he had not claimed for himself, one that he hadn't grasped for himself. Jesus was highly exalted with the quite literal translation meaning super exalted, not implying that he was somehow higher than he was before incarnation, but to emphasise the magnitude of the honour bestowed on him. He was given the name above every name, Lord, the one who came in the likeness of, of men. Jesus, Jesus, the name he bore throughout his human life has now been given another name Lord Jesus is Lord during this morning's meeting God asked the question of who do you say I am our confession is that Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord the name that has been bestowed on him by someone else and we enter into that honour and worth proclaimed to him he now commands that position of worship and honour so what for us have this mindset for us I want to say to us this we as people who proclaim Jesus as Lord that we don't just make that some sort of throwaway Christian statement that we have to sign up to we've got to be very careful about saying Jesus is Lord because his lordship was revealed to us as death on a cross have that mindset amongst you that prefers the other that will follow obedience to the point of pain and suffering the one who went all the way on our behalf so that as we stumble and fall and as we find that our obedience runs out at that point yet empowered by the Holy Spirit we get to live in Jesus' obedience and know his Jesus is Lord it's a big statement to make he's the, he's the one Revealed in this way. And that means that when things are going really, really well, we get to say Jesus is Lord. And be thankful for blessings. Thankful for his mercy. I was just reflecting in the build-up to this weekend away. The last 18 months for us as a church has been one of such amazing highs. Incredible, incredible lows. We went through a time of declaring Jesus is Lord over buying a building. We were praying for a million pounds and we found the million pounds turned up, not out of the blue, but through work and through effort and prayer and giving. And we get to say, Jesus is Lord. And we got to stand in front of, I don't know, 100 people and say, God is faithful, obedient to his promises to his people that he would do what he says he does, build his church. We get to declare Jesus is Lord. That's the easy point. We get to see, 12 months later, death, pain, suffering. You get to stand up in front of people again and say, this has happened. This is painful. But Jesus is still Lord. We don't get to pick and choose our end destination or just the good bits of Christian life when we get to humbly follow him, picking up our cross, following him to obedience. We get to say in the most painful of situations that Jesus is Lord, which means that he's coming to set all things right in one, that one day that we, as the church, gather together, anticipate in the now by becoming like him, having this mindset amongst us as we proclaim Jesus is Lord. Things start to change. Our perspective shifts. It's not just about my pain and my discomfort in the now, but it's about the preference of someone else and on that final day when he returns and every knee bows and confesses and sees that he truly is lord he's not the god that this world wants he's the god that this world needs i'm going to finish there it's all right